All right, well, welcome to our midweek Bible study. As you uh, no doubt notice, we have a quite a bit of a different format tonight. Uh, we've completed our study on the Ten Commandments, and we're going to launch into something new uh, beginning this week and focus on the uh, one another passages in the New Testament. There are any number of passages that tell us how we are to relate to one another as Christians, and we're going to spend a few weeks focusing on that. And one of the things I'm going to try to do is bring in people at the beginning of each of these uh, sessions so that we can uh, get to know uh, one another a little bit better during this time in which we're apart more than usual. And today we have uh, a very special guest. Our newest member here at Lost River is Jarrett Ferguson, uh, and he is going to be joining us throughout the study today as we talk about love one another. But first, I, I want to give everyone an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. So Jarrett's uh, 22 years old, uh, at least that's what he says. He hasn't produced any documentation yet. Uh, we have had people come here before wanting to preach and we find out they were 13 and it didn't work out, but we're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and uh, I believe he's 22. He has a degree in communications with a minor in Bible. So you know a little bit about the Bible and a lot about communicating. <laughs> Very good. Uh, from FC, where also I uh, hear you were a student body president one year. One one year. All right. Sure. Did you go for re-election and, and lose? Or? <laughs> no. Uh, I guess it's just not part of the tradition to run again. <laughs> just Probably would have lost term. <laughs> round one two. Term. Okay. Right. right. <laughs> well, very good. Well, um, also something that Jared uh, has, uh, Jared, uh, I'm sorry, I've got a nephew <laughs> named Jared. Uh, Jarrett uh, did this summer along with Bubba Garner, who's a preacher at Southside Church in Pasadena, uh, is put together a podcast. Uh, what was the title of that? The The title of the podcast was On Things Above. Okay. Uh, taken from Colossians 2 or 3. Um, and he that was a little bit about right, the Right, right. Only, only a little bit. Um, <laughs> and that was focusing on the different characters from Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. And we just kind of did character studies, bringing in actually past trainees of Southside, like uh, Brother Lawrence, um, and, and talked about the characters and, and how their faith uh, relates to and, and um, can be lived out in our lives today. So that was the that was the idea for the podcast. Yeah, it so. turned out really well. Uh, the one that I did, maybe not so much, but uh, some <laughs> of the other guys, it was really, really good. And we'll send out a link. Uh, we need to do that on an email uh, so that people can go and, and listen to that podcast. There's about how many different episodes on there? I think there are, I think there are 18 episodes. Okay. Yeah, like so it'll be really good listening on your commute or at home or whatever. And uh, we'll, again, we'll get that information out to everybody. Um, Jared, uh, tell us just a little bit about your family, your your upbringing, and just so we know a little bit more about who you are. Yes, sir. Well, I'm I'm from Deer Park, Texas, just outside of Houston, and all my family. Uh, I was born and raised there. My family is still there. Um, I just have one older sister, and. Um, she she still lives in Deer Park. Uh, does that kind of yeah. answer most of it? Yeah, and your parents uh, they believers. Uh, yes, both both my parents um, are are believers and, and very faithful Christians and have had a tremendous impact on my walk of faith and I'm very very thankful for them and still still uh, keep in touch with them often and they still keep motivating me to to press on. So very thankful for them. I think you told me uh, when we first began talking about the possibility of us working together in this program 
that your grandfather was a gospel preacher and that you had a lot of admiration for him and maybe that was one of the things that influenced you in thinking about preaching yourself yes sir that had uh one of the one of the biggest impacts in my decision to to preach uh was my my grandfather for a number of years did that in a real small town in anahuac texas uh, but every time i would go over to his house the conversation either was about running and track and cross country or about preaching the gospel and so he really instilled that within me and very thankful for that that's great. That's great to hear. And, and running is one of your hobbies, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Enjoy, what's, enjoy. What's running. your fastest mile? <laughs> I, I don't really know. <laughs> I I never really timed the mile, but I I'm not sure. Okay. So. Okay. Well, I'm sure it's uh it's pretty fast from what I've heard. So uh, uh, that's one thing we needed was a runner who comes from Texas. Uh, we didn't have enough of those around here. But uh, I like to run from Texas. Jarrett's faster than I am or ever was. Uh, Jim Ward uh, also is from Texas. So we, we just need more Texas preachers uh, here in Bowling Green. And now we've got one. Well, um, here at the uh, uh, preacher training program, Jarrett and I are going to be focusing on uh, helping him develop in his biblical studies and in sermon preparation and delivery, various aspects of church ministry and leadership and evangelism and counseling and all the things that can go with this kind of work. And uh, he's eager about it. I'm very excited about him uh, and, and looking forward to this opportunity that we'll have together. Uh, when Jared was here visiting a few weeks back, we asked him to do one of our uh, daily devos that we were doing every day at that time. And he did one on what the gospel means uh, to me. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what you had to say then in case we've forgotten. Right. So, well, I'll see if I can remember too. <laughs> um, so when we think about the, the first gospel sermon that was preached, my mind usually goes over to Acts chapter 2 and Peter at Pentecost. And certainly, I think we understand what we mean by that, but I think it's really interesting. Paul, over in Galatians 3, talks about how the gospel was actually preached thousands of years beforehand to Abraham. And that message, that good news, at least in that instance, seemed to kind of center around the idea of family, that through his seed, through his family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so when we get to the New Testament, the writers kind of pick up on that idea and um, uh, apply that to the church and I think show us that one of the greatest things that the gospel can do for anyone is to give them a family because through that we have a new name, a new identity that we carry on with us everywhere we go as Christians, as children of God. Uh, we have new relationships, brothers and sisters who help us on that journey and then ultimately a father who who looks out for us and who loves us and has chosen us and adopted us into that family and who's bringing all of us all of us home. Yes, so. it's a tremendous blessing and benefit of, of being a part of, of his family. And then that makes a great place for us to transition into our new topic that we're going to begin studying tonight and run for the next several weeks. And that has to do with these one another passages in the New Testament about how we are to, in the family of God, be relating to and treating each other. Uh, and Jared, those include uh, any number of passages. This isn't even exhaustive, but we're told uh, in 1 John 4, 11 and 12 to love one another. We're told to serve one another. We're told to care for one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. That's a big one. Honor one another, forgive one another, be hospitable to one another, not to speak against one another, to accept one another and to be at peace with one another. 
And we do all of this because, as you just said, we are members of one another. And so if we're going to uh, enjoy the benefit of that blessing of being the family of God, we're going to have to learn to relate to one another in the way that he's teaching us to do so here. So I think that's the benefit of these passages. And in the studies, we're not going to look at every one of them. We're going to select several. Uh, but today we want to focus on that first one, love one another from 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Um, Jared, when you read that passage, in fact, if you don't mind, would you read that for us, 1 John 4, 11 and 12, and then tell us uh, what you see John commanding us to do, maybe why he's commanding us to do it, and even if he gives us any clues to how to do it. Right, so uh, 1 John 4 and verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. So when we zoom in on verse 11, um, the, the, the answer to that question of what is He commanding us to do seems pretty straightforward, seems pretty simple, and that is we ought to love one another. But I think if we sort of dive in a little bit deeper into what He's saying and, and think about what that really means, there's a lot more substance and a lot more uh, depth to it, and it's a lot more transformative too. And so getting into to sort of uh, the, the why, why we should love one another, uh, you know, to the world, there isn't much of a reason to. That's right. um, you know, it would be something along the lines of uh, love one another because uh, you get something out of it, um, this give and take, this exchange. Um, and, and maybe uh, it, it doesn't even revolve around that. Maybe just to take a step further back, it's, well, why do that at all? Why would I love any, anybody? Why not just look out for myself? And I think that that's, a, that's an interesting idea in competition with what John is, is admonishing us to do, to love one another because he says it's rooted in God's love for us. It's about gratitude and and reciprocity, um, being so overwhelmed by God's love for us that we can't help but pour that out to other people. And it reminds me kind of of what the Apostle Paul says uh, over in 2 Corinthians 5 about how the love of Christ controls us. Everything we do is centered around that, our, the way that we live our lives, the way that we think, and then certainly the way that we interact with other people. That's really good. And it, it, it just seems that that's such a beautiful way to conceive of, of what life is really all about. We're creatures who've been blessed by God with so much. We've been given life and now we know he loves us. He's adopted us, as you said, into his family. And we have brothers and sisters. And it just makes sense from that worldview that we ought to love each other. Mm -hmm. And like you said, uh, you know, the world really doesn't have much of a rational explanation as to why I should do that. For you, you know, if it's going to cost me something, then why, why should I do that? But from the biblical worldview, it makes perfect sense, and, and we can love one another and be consistent. Um, well, very good. Well, let's let's dive into that just a little bit uh, more deeply and think about the how. You know, what is it, you know, we know what we're supposed to do. We know why we should do it. God loved us, so we should love one another. But does He give us any guidance in the passage that you see about how we specifically should go about doing that? Yeah, I, I think I think he definitely explores that if you back up to verses nine and ten, and I think it's interesting when when we do perceive the love of God like we should. I think it really what it does is change the question mm -hmm. from 
why should I do this? But to like you were saying, the how, okay. how can I, um, or maybe even how could I not? How could I not do that? And so uh, if we look at verse nine, uh, he says, first of all, this is how God showed his love among us. And I want to pause on that phrase among us. I, I think that's, that's key. It, it's not just some distant, vague, ethereal kind of thing. It's not uh, some foreign concept, but God's it's not love. It's some sentiment. Right, right, right. But it, it, God's love took on flesh and, and dwelt among us, like he talks about in, in his gospel. And then at the beginning of the book, that which we've seen and looked upon and touched with our hands, um, it, it was manifest, that life was manifest among us. But then picking up a, again in verse 9, so that, that love, God showed us His love. He demonstrated that love among us by, in, in which He sent His Son, His one and only Son, into the world that we might live through Him. And so the, the first thing we see about God's love is that it's sacrificial. It's the giving of His Son the pouring of himself out, uh, certainly on the cross, but but just in all the ways that God has given of himself throughout all of, of time and certainly culminating in the sacrifice on the cross. Yeah. You know, when we, we think of sacrifice, you, you think of something that, you know, really does cost you, you something. And as human beings, we realize that when we make a sacrifice, that it is it is costly. We're giving something up for for someone else, uh, a mother to love a child has to almost completely turn herself inside out to, to bring this life into existence and then to nurture it through infancy. And it's a, it's a tremendous sacrifice. And you see that as being an essential component of love. But sometimes we think about, well, God's love, how could God really make a sacrifice? But in the gospel story, we see how that could actually be. And, and when he gave his son I don't think we should ever fall into a trap of thinking, well, for God, that was easy. I mean, nothing's too hard for God as it relates to right. his power and his strength, but um, the, 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 the cost uh, personally to him of giving his son to, to suffer and bear the sins of the world, that's an incredible sacrifice. I think about as, as um, a parent um, and I've been fortunate enough not to live through a, a time in which this was necessary, but sending a son off to a war, making that kind of sacrifice and the son going off to war. And it's, it's not even clear to me whose sacrifice is the greatest there. Mm. Um, the son's going and potentially offering his own life. The parent, the father, the mother who've invested in that child and loved them and their heart is bound to them to see them go and potentially never, never return. Mm -hmm. That's a huge sacrifice that people make for their freedom, for their countries. God's made that sacrifice for us in giving his son to us. And so sacrifice seems, I think that's great to be a key component of the kind of love God has shown us. He also talks about that love involving um, something that we needed. Um, God's love met us at a point of our personal need. Um, it wasn't that he just loved us in some way that didn't really matter. As you said earlier, it's transformative because we're dead, as the scripture says, in our sins and our trespasses. The older I get, the more um, I become aware of the 
of the, the pain and sorrow and misery that my own sin has brought upon me and how desperately I need the sacrificial love of God and, and giving of his son Jesus for my sin uh, to, to redeem me, to save or rescue me from what I am becoming as a consequence of my sin. And I, I think about where would I be if not for Jesus Christ? Mm. Um, where would the world be? If it, if it weren't for Jesus today, it's bad enough as it is with all the checks that he's put in place and the restraints that his love has on keeping people from being evil as they would otherwise be. And, and if you took that away, how desperate would our situation be? So his love sacrificial, you said it meets us at a point of our need. What else do you see uh, as how God loves us? Yeah, I, I think also continuing with that is in verse 10, we see that it's undeserved. Um, and this is, I think, one of the most amazing things about the love of God. There in verse 10, it says, Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. So not that we gained His favor or that we were good enough or righteous enough to finally convince Him and persuade Him to love us, but that He chose to love us despite of, uh, in spite of our sin, um, in spite of our rejection of Him. And it reminds me of what uh, Paul wrote over in Romans chapter 5 in verse 10. Um, I'll turn there real quick. Uh, but there in Romans 5 in verse 10, uh, it says, um, or beginning in verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Um, and so God's love, it is, it is completely undeserved by us. Even while we were weak, even while we were sinful and rejected Him in every way, even while we were enemies, He says, uh, God displayed His love. He reconciled us to Himself through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. That's a really good insight. Um, which you know brings me to kind of the fourth thought about it is how practical his love for us is that in the latter part of the passage you read there in Romans uh, 5 he talks about how uh, he has reconciled us or or put away God's wrath God's anger toward us was justifiable at what we had done to dishonor him to disgrace ourselves and to harm one another and God is justifiably angry at our sin, and yet through the cross He makes a way for His anger to be triumphed over by His mercy and grace. And it also does something on our end of it. It, it softens our hearts when we realize the, the sacrifice that He's made on our behalf and that we are forgiven. And so the enmity that exists between God and man and man and God is, is removed through the loving sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. So it's a very practical thing and restores to us the connection that we need more than anything else. And that's the connection that we have with God as our, our Father. So uh, it's a beautiful thing to consider. 
Well, if those are the ways which God's, which, in which God has loved us, then how does that work itself out practically in how we are to love one another? We've, we've talked about already that that's what John's telling us. We need to love one another because God's loved us. And this is the way God has loved us. So how do we then make that practical in the way we treat and love one another? Yeah, so I think the, the question that we need to be asking in response to seeing God's love for us is how am I giving that? How am I giving that not just toward Him, but toward uh, the, the people around me? Um, in, in asking what is that love, what is my love really costing me? What am I sacrificing? And maybe that sacrifice comes through uh, material things, uh, financially, things like that. But more often it comes through things like the sacrifice of my time, mm. uh, listening to others. Uh, maybe that comes through my energy, uh, serving other people even when I'm exhausted and beat tired and, and just kind of want to uh, you know, take a couple hours to myself. Or maybe through my attitudes, um, sacrificing my own happiness and maybe my own uh, joy and contentment for other people. Uh, it's about sacrificing my interests for the interests of others, like Paul talks about uh, over in Philippians 2. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of, you know, whatever room I walk in, I'm last. I'm, I'm putting everybody else uh, before myself. Or as Paul would say it again in Romans 12, it's about living every day as that living sacrifice. Yeah. Very good. So as God sacrificed for us, we, we sacrifice in these very practical ways for, for one another. And, and just like his love uh, in sacrifice uh, met us at a point of need, we need to be looking for that need in other people and how we can love them at, at a point that, that they have a need. And I think your examples of that really hit on so many of the areas where we can do that. People are, are, are we don't have to look very far in the world to find somebody who's hurting find somebody who is uh, desperate, really, uh, and to, to try to come in with whatever resource we have to, to meet that need. And as Christians, we've got an infinite supply coming in uh, that we can now try to turn and, and give to others if we're relying upon Him and His Spirit to uh, regenerate and strengthen us over and over again to have something to offer. Sometimes we, we think, I think, about the needs that are out there in the world uh, and loving them. And that's great. We need to, but sometimes it's a lot closer to home than that. It's mm -hmm. what, a, what does my wife need? What does my husband need or my children or my roommate or whatever? And look at those concentric circles that are closest first and meet people at their point of need where they are. That's, that's the way God's love reached us where we needed it. And uh, we can do the same. What else do you see about how we can reciprocate the love that God's shown us? Well, I, I think sometimes we think we're doing a good job of this because we are loving the people around us and maybe not in all the ways that we should. Maybe we should be doing more for the people that are closest to us. And like you said, looking for those needs. Uh, but then also, I, I think we kind of give ourselves a, a check mark on this because it's easy to love the people around us, or at least to think that we are. Uh, but what's far more difficult and something that we often overlook is I guess sort of the idea of hospitality, the love for strangers, mm -hmm. the love for the people who aren't like us, which of course the pages of the gospel uh, are, are just overflowing with that idea shown in the life of Christ. But my, my mind goes over to uh, Matthew chapter five and the Sermon on the Mount, where 
right in the middle of this, this sermon, Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said, um, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So he says, first of all, that the, the thing that, that makes us like the father is not just loving, but specifically loving the, the, our enemy, the people who aren't like us. Uh, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? So that's that idea we were talking about how, uh, of course, you're going to be able to love the people around you. Uh, you're no better than the rest of the world if you're only doing that. But then he finishes with what maybe this is sort of the thesis of the whole sermon. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, which again gets at that idea that maybe the thing that makes us most like the father is the way that we love because he is love, like, like John says throughout his epistles, um, and specifically loving the people who aren't like us. The whole mission of the gospel, sacrificing for the needs of others, uh, even when they don't deserve it, because that's exactly what God did for all of us. That's beautiful, Jarrett. And where God's love uh, reaches us there at this point where, where we don't deserve it, it, it changes us. Just um, as we talked about before, that hostility and enmity between us and our attitude toward God was was broken and, and changed. And our hearts were softened as, as we realized how much God loves us and see his love for us on the cross. One of the most powerful stories that I've heard of how that worked its way out in a person's life and how they learned to love another was a story that happened here in the state of Kentucky decades ago now. But there was a young man who was driving drunk and he ran through an intersection and he struck a, another vehicle driven by uh, another young man, about 18 or 19 years old, as I recall, and killed him. And that young man who was killed was the only son of uh, a, a, a husband and wife. And of course, as you can imagine, they were crushed by this, but they also became rather obsessed about the prosecution and conviction of the, of the drunk driver who had done it. And the mother in particular, it, it, she says it just absolutely overwhelmed her. Uh, she wanted to see you know, justice done, and, and naturally so. But at some point, as the months went by, she began to realize that she was just obsessed with her anger and hostility at what this man had done to her son and her life. And so she made up her mind to begin to visit him in prison and to uh, try to find a way to forgive him and managed to be able to do that and express it to him until eventually they became friends. And when he was eventually released from prison, uh, they converted him, he became a believer, um, would go to church with them to their house every Sunday for dinner. And the last I heard, this has again been quite some years ago, uh, had become the, the heir um, in their will to receive all the worldly goods that would have naturally transferred to their son uh, would now go to this person. And it's just the, the power of how the gospel had broken through to, to a couple's lives. And even though someone who didn't deserve it uh, um, had done them wrong, they found a way to show love, to meet that person undeserved, who was undeserving of it at a point of need. 
and change their life and really change the person who is giving that love as well. And it's just, again, a beautiful tribute to the power of the gospel and how we can learn to one another, uh, each other, the same way that God has, has treated us. Well, love is a distinctly Christian virtue. I think we've seen that uh, in this study. And along with other Christian virtues, it seems to be fading in our culture today. So let us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, do everything we can to love one another, and in doing so, let our light shine. One other passage to close with, and then I'll ask Jared, if you would, to lead us in a prayer, is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 which says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions and in truth. Jarrett. Our great God and Father, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God of the promise. And you spoke this world into existence, and then you spoke your word to people thousands of years ago, even to uh, a man, Abraham, who became our father uh, through the people of faith. And as we take up that journey of faith, we pray that we can follow in the footsteps, not just of people that have gone on before us and examples that have gone on before us, but your son who showed perfect love throughout his life, who continually sacrificed for the needs of others, for people who didn't deserve it, for people like us, and who showed us practically how to live out that love, for he is love. Father, help us not just to speak of this, but to live it out every day in our lives and to be controlled by it, to be so overwhelmed by your amazing and infinite love that it pours out to the people around us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the family that we have through your son, and we thank you for the family here at Lost River. Thank you for all things and especially for the sacrifice of your son and it's in his name we pray amen amen